Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hosting the So Money podcast for almost 10 years, I've been learning a lot about how to best serve you outside the show. I've begun to offer pop-up workshops and a So Money members club. And with each new line of business, a lot goes on behind every transaction. Stripe helps simplify and ease payments with tap to pay on iPhone, which helps me grow revenue and reach through accepting more in-person contactless payments when I'm out in real life promoting my programs. Tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe give me the ability to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup and no additional hardware required. And it's not just ideal for me. From local pop-ups to global retailers, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe help businesses of all sizes accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. Whether your customers want to use their card, Apple Pay, or other digital wallet, now you can accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. So many episodes, 1631, the merits of loud budgeting and when it's wise to maybe stay quiet. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Previously, you felt embarrassed if you couldn't do the $100, $150 brunch or, you know, if you were saving up for something important or whatever it might be. And so you make something up and say, oh, I can't go or, you know, I've got another engagement or whatever it is. But I think by saying and by owning the fact that you are in control of how you spend your money, and it really comes down to what you want your life to look like. What does it include? Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. First, we had quiet quitting. Then there was a quiet luxury. Now there's loud budgeting. These, my friends, are the sounds of TikTok, trends that originate on the social media platform, eventually entering the mainstream. And now we're talking about it on this podcast, which means maybe it's no longer cool. I don't know. But here we are. Loud budgeting. What is it? It's demonstrating control of your finances out loud, vocalizing when you're making money conscious decisions rather than caving to peer pressure to spend a certain way. Your friends want to go to an expensive brunch or book a vacation and you have outstanding credit card debt. The loud budgeter owns that and shares this with friends, passes on the expense and focuses on the bigger priorities. Hard to find anything wrong with this, but are there times when our financial goals are best kept to ourselves? I know a lot of us want to learn more about budgeting and creating workable spending plans. So this felt like a great parlay. My guest today is Stephanie Vaught. She's founder of Social Money Finance, a personal finance company that specializes in helping gen. Gen X. Gen X women make empowered financial decisions. That's me. If that's you, high five. 
She has made it her mission to encourage Gen X women to lean into their life experience, own their own power, and build a life they love. Stephanie and I dig into the merits of loud budgeting and when it might be important to toe the line. And sticking with financial trends on TikTok, I turn us to a viral video of a young woman later in the show who was found crying over her inability to make ends meet. What do Stephanie and I think of that? As two Gen X women, you might not be surprised. Here's Stephanie Vaught. Stephanie Vaught, welcome back to So Money. It's been a healthy number of years. Oh gosh, 2020 you came here. I actually featured you in my Black Wealth Matters album in addition to having you on uh, in June of 2020. I admire you so much. You've built an incredible business helping people with their money, especially Gen Xers. You know, I'm a, I'm kind of Gen X, Gen Y. I feel like we're the forgotten generation often. We got lots, we got lots on our plate. Welcome back. And, and tell us how you have been since we last connected you, your business has grown really well. Yes. Bernoush, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be back to be talking with you and your amazing audience. You know that I've been a follower of yours for quite some time. I listen to so many all the time. (laughs) So I feel very, you know, comfortable. I feel like we're, we're buddies, you know, I'm familiar with your content and your, your audience. So again, thank you for the introduction. Um, So things have been really wonderful. I run Social Money Finance, which is a personal finance company. And yes, our audience is primarily Gen X women. So I like to say women of a certain age where we are in midlife, not so much approaching it. We are in midlife. And, you know, I really wanted to focus on this this group, this generation, because like you said, Farnoosh, we are the forgotten generation. You know, a lot of times when we're talking about money or anything related to generational, you know, differences or what have you, Gen X is typically left out of that conversation. Usually we're we're now into the Gen Zs, we're talking about them, boomers and all the things, which is cool, but it's like those of us in this middle life, like we got a lot to say and we're doing quite a bit too. So, you know, I'm excited to to, you know, really focus on this generation and talk about the things that are important to us. The focus of our conversation today is going to shift to loud budgeting, which I'm a, I feel a little bit late to this trend, but I think it's important to capture what it is and how it can be useful and and what it says about where we are in our um in our world when it comes to taking on financial goals and ambitions and the importance of community. But while I have you, and I think a lot of women in my audience do fall in the Gen X category, you know, I guess that's like when were you born? Like 1970 to 1980, something like that? Yeah. So the actual years are 1965 to 1980. Ah, and that's why I'm I'm a 1980 born. So yeah. yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about what you're seeing from your client base as far as their needs and how you're addressing them. What are, what are the most important sort of financial steps that if you are in this generation that you want to be paying attention to? So a lot of us in the Gen X generation, we're focused on, and a lot of my clients are focused on what to do now. So a lot of the conversation, sometimes there's that backtrack, right? Where you spend a little bit of time sort of relishing about what you wanted to do or what you could have done or where you thought you'd be by this age and stage in life. And sometimes that is filled with 
a little disillusionment. Sometimes it's a little disappointment. Sometimes you're feeling a little bamboozled. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, our generation says, you know, we followed the rules. We did what we were told. We got the degrees. We went to school. We are the most educated generation out there. We're the smallest, but we are, you know, statistics tell us we're the most educated. And, you know, we got the jobs. We work really hard. Our work ethic is unparalleled, I like to tell people. And so, you know, the the bill of goods, if you will, that was sold to us was if you do these things, if you cross off these, you know, these things and check off these boxes, your life is going to look a certain way. And I think a lot of us bought into that. I certainly did. And I think it was well-intentioned, you know, by our parents or schools, communities, and so on. But what wasn't taken into account was what if something major happens? What if something like, you know, um, an economic depression happens? What if something like a 2008 housing crisis happens and we lose our jobs and we get laid off and, you know, our housing values plummet? What if something like that just throws us off kilter? And we're not really prepared, you know, to handle those types of of shakeups. And so I think, you know, that was a big part of it, certainly a part of the conversation. So a lot of times what I'm hearing from my clients are, you know, I feel like I would have been further along. I thought, you know, my life would look a certain way. I wish I had learned certain money management principles earlier. You know, I get that a lot. And so what I generally tell them is, first of all, You're not alone. And it's not too late. It's not too late. You can be 40 plus, you can be 50 and learn these principles and make it work for you. And so what we do is focus on the present. We really talk about short term and long term goals and playing that both games at the same time. Um, We talk about, you know, time being, you know, a necessity of the, you know, it's it's of the essence, if you will. And so we really focus on what do you want to do now? What do you want your life to look like now and how to make that happen? Yeah, because unfortunately, you do have to juggle more when you're getting a later start. You do, you know, it's it's not as you can't streamline it so much as when you're in your 20s. Like, I'm going to start with my saving and then I'm going to invest and whatever. But But you're right about, you know, Gen X being we're survivors. And I think it's because we are analog. (laughs) We know what life was like before the internet. And I think that is such a gift, especially these days. We are the most resourceful generation simply because when technology breaks, like we know how to still continue doing the things. Um, I think, you know, my brother's 11 years younger than I am. And that difference is definitely a big one where he's so he runs, I mean, he runs a, a web company. Like he, he, he's so entrenched into the digital world and so am I, but I feel like if push comes to shove and like, gosh, if social media gets taken over by um, the Russians and we have to sh- tear them down or like wake up tomorrow and there's no email, <laughs> I mean, I'm going, I'm knocking on doors and I'm okay with that. You know, I know how to do it. You um, got in touch recently, so, which I so appreciate. You're like Farnoosh. We got to talk about loud budgeting. It's happening. What's going on? Yeah. Leave it to TikTok. I'm I'm actually, what do you think about TikTok? I'm not on there much, if at all. I've, I've actually deleted it from my phone, which may be a temporary thing, but I'm just, I got a lot going on, Stephanie. I can't be distracted again with something else. But the one kind of interesting thing about TikTok is that there are some 
cool trends that get started there. And the latest in the personal finance space is loud budgeting, which we were joking. It's just like, it's so funny with the names we come up with, old tricks, new names, you know, like loud budgeting is basically just like telling people your goals <laughs> around money. Yeah. Holding yourself yeah. accountable. Tell us a little about how you've understood this, this loud budgeting to, you know, how, what you think of it and um, why you think it's t- sort of taken on so well these days. Yeah. You know, as far as TikTok goes, I'm not on TikTok. I will be honest with you, Farnoosh. I am not, I'm not a TikToker. People have told me to be, I've tried to, and I just can't get into it, but you know, hats off to the folks who are. Yeah. So as far as the loud budgeting goes, right, I happened to actually be on Instagram and saw someone post about it. And it came from this viral TikToker that called it loud budgeting. So, of course, I had to go down the rabbit hole, look into what he was talking about. And you're so right in saying they give it this this trendy name. Right. And at you know, my at first glance, I just thought, you know, whatever works, like <laughs> whatever is going to get the attention right. and get the job done is what it is and let it be what it is. Right. But I think what they're saying is, you know, you're really making transparency a popular thing. So the way I understand loud budgeting to be is being vocal about where you stand with your money, about, you know, what you're willing to spend your money on, how much you're willing to spend the money on. And just being, you know, clear about how you're choosing to live your life. And it's so funny because this is what we as personal finance experts do. We encourage our clients and our audience to really take this on in such a affirming way. It doesn't have to be restrictive. It doesn't have to feel, you know, some sort of depressed feeling. It is being empowered and it's taking on the belief that you know, I can control my destiny. I can, um, you know, be on top of and in and, and power. I can, I can feel powerful being someone who manages my finances and is on top of, you know, where my money's going and all of those things. I know that's something that, you know, you and I share and we encourage our, our audience to feel that way. So when I see this coming from a younger generation, you know, on one hand, I, I laugh at it because it's like we've been talking about this for years. Right. But on the other hand, you know, I can appreciate the fact that they're adopting this belief and giving it a name because they know more or less this is what the younger generation, you know, likes for it to feel good and feel fun and feel interesting in order for them to do it. And so if it takes that, then I'm all for it. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. The weather's getting warmer as I record. It's a nice 73 degrees on the East Coast. So finally, time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and fingers crossed hello to shorts and tees. And I need to update my wardrobe for the long haul. And you know, I don't want to spend a fortune. So luckily I found Quince. I'm honest. I've got a lineup of timeless pieces from Quince that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm talking premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karakol jewelry, and tons more. Best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. I have t-shirts from Quince, pajamas from Quince. My very chic and fashionable sister-in-law, Hannah, her whole closet is Quince. And people often stop us and ask, where did you get this? Don't tell me the price. And then when I do, they're shopping on quince.com. Get warm weather ready with quince. Go to quince.com slash so money for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's com slash so money to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash so money. Did you know that I'm a podcast host and also a mind reader? Because I know that you want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising costs of inflation, to pay off your debt or your mortgage. You want to attack pretty much anything standing in the way of you and your financial freedom, right? Well, here's one solution, more knowledge. This podcast helps, I hope. And you can use Yahoo Finance, where you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need to help reach your definition of financial freedom. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, and I know because I worked there for many years, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, customizable charts, so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. For the longest time, I dreaded buying bras. It was like shopping for jeans. Impossible. You want a bra that's sexy. You want a bra that's comfortable. You can't have both. Well, now you can, thanks to Third Love. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, the ick, the ugh, out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem or problem. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school. Get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made with premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with the code podcast15. 
And just to put this in practice, to visually see how this plays out, you know, what what is loud budgeting in practice? It's like your friends want to go to brunch, you're trying to pay off your student loans, or you're saving up for X, Y, Z, and this expense, which, you know, especially in New York, that could easily be a hundred bucks, yeah. um, is not in your budget. And previously right. you might sort of dance around the subject, oh, I'm not available, or you might go and then regret it. But now it's the loud budgeting is giving this generation permission to vocalize what their financial goals are, which I think has so many benefits. One, obviously it keeps you empowered and it's getting rid of any of the, hopefully the shame that you may have around your financial priorities. Two, it might be inspiring to your peers. If they don't understand and they're going to give you a hard time about it, that's also telling. I think that's also revealing. But the friends who listen and understand and might even take cues, I mean, that's pretty powerful. You're really being a great financial role model for your friends. And then I know because I've studied this for a long time, the power of being vocal and the power of sharing your financial goals with people you trust is it leads to more success. The success rate is higher. Like with just, there was a, it was an economic study. They looked at two cohorts, one cohort, they had savings goals. They didn't share with anybody. Another cohort, they had savings goals. They shared it with some immediate friends. The cohort that shared their savings goals, not only did they have a higher rate of success in other other words, achieving that goal, but they also surpassed the goal. So it's just like the data also says this is smart. I want to ask you, Stephanie, you know, is there a line, is there a balancing act of being loud and also being quiet, having reservations about what you share? I know that transparency is like the most popular word right now. And it gets a lot of people, you know, excited and, and, Yes, of course. I think transparency is really important in so many ways. And I think that as individuals, we also need to protect things about ourselves. Like, I just, I wonder, I write about this in my book, A Healthy State of Panic, sort of like towing the line um, and and what you think is sort of like important to share and what other things you think are more important to hold closer to the vest. Yeah, I think this is such a great question. And I think there's a balance there. So as far as being loud, right, I think you nailed it in saying you share if if you're having the whole brunch scenario. And it's so funny you said that because I thought of that, right? Like you're young, your friends want to go out to brunch or they want to do something really nice and you want to tag along. And let's say Previously, you felt embarrassed if you couldn't do the $100, $150 brunch or, you know, if you were saving up for something important or whatever it might be. And so you make something up and say, oh, I can't go or, you know, I've got another engagement or whatever it is. But I think by saying and by owning the fact that you are in control of how you spend your money and it really comes down to what you want your life to look like, what does it include? And so I'm sure it would include, you know, hanging out with friends and enjoying life, of course. But if you were to say, listen, you know, I want to go with you all, but this is what I have allocated to this thing. This is what I have assigned to this thing. And I think you're right in saying that it it gives other folks permission, your friends permission to say, well, you know what, maybe we can try something different or let me start to be a little bit more conscientious about what I do 
And so I think in that scenario, it is very empowering and it doesn't have to feel shameful or embarrassing by just stating, you know, what your boundaries are, right? At the same time, as far as being quiet about something, I think that there's a place there too, especially if maybe you're working on something that has a longer goal period. Maybe there's something that is a big project or something that's really, really near and dear to your heart that you want to to accomplish and you just need to get in your quiet place, right? And really dig deep and make that goal happen. I think that's where, you know, being quiet about something can be really advantageous. Maybe it's something you need to go within, you need to go deep and you need to really become the person that achieves this big goal or this big dream that you have. And sometimes that requires it just being you, you and you with your goal until you get to a certain point. So I'm on board with both scenarios, right? Where you're allowed in a sense of you are sharing what is true and what's important to you and you're unapologetic about it. And then at the same time, you know, being quiet about something that has maybe a deeper meaning to you that you really want to become one with, if you will. I agree. I think it also implies that, or hopefully implies that, you know, you can be loud, but you got to read the room too. You want to make sure you're in a, in a room, in a place, in a relationship amongst friends who will understand and support. And I like what you said about sometimes what you're saving for is a private matter. So you say I'm saving, but maybe it's not that like I'm saving for supporting my mother in her transition in her life, because, you know, a lot of us are maybe doing that um, or support. And, and, you know, now you're like outing maybe a family member and you want to keep that to yourself because you want to out of respect for that family member. So I think that discretion is advised in some cases. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) absolutely. Absolutely. It's the sort of thing that can be really empowering. I think though, you know, who's not going to like loud budgeting is um, companies, brands, retailers, restaurants. No, no. <laughs> because they're, they're not. <laughs> yeah. If this, if all goes well, this will become a pattern for a while and ultimately maybe just this accepted way of sort of managing your finances and, you know, peer pressure can go a really long way when you see your friends behaving in a certain way. And, and then you say, okay, this is acceptable now. Okay, great. We're going to be doing a lot of dinners in, or we're going to be doing, you know, movie nights at home. And um, I think that's also a positive. It's might, might be signaling to retailers and all, everywhere else that like, I get that there's inflation, but you know, some businesses take advantage yes. of raising their prices. Yes. Yes, yes. And Farnoosh, if I may, I really want to encourage people by this conversation that budgeting is cool. I have literally told this to people. (laughs) Like, I don't care how much money you make. I have worked with people of all income levels, you know, like maybe from 50K a year to 250K a year and beyond that with assets in the millions and things like that. And I have certainly talked with people at different stages of their life, at different, you know, vantage points, and they have different goals. And I mean, just as money is dynamic as it is personal, right? And so each client, more or less that I've worked with, we have done a budget, like we have completed a budget. And, you know, I know that we, there's the trending loud budgeting, but 
I will tell you, like completing a budget and really understanding your finances. I think that's really the the takeaway here is really understand where you are allocating your money and you have control over how you allocate your money. And I know a lot of people may not think that they do based on how much things cost, right? Or what someone wants for something, but your participation in it is where the control comes from. You know, obviously everyone has bills and we have responsibilities and people we're taking care of and all the things, but in terms of what you choose to participate in should be driven by your value system. What is important to you? What do you want your life to look like? How do you want, you know, your future to look like for yourself, your family, your children? your legacy and beyond. And so I think that's the part where I really want to drive that point home. Like you're in control of that. And a much of that, the the larger part of the conversation has to do with how you're managing, how you're sustaining the money that is coming to you. You know, I know we focus a lot on the money coming in, the earning, the making the money. And don't get me wrong, that is important because obviously, right? But I think some weight needs to be given to what are you doing with it? Because usually if a person comes to see me, it's out of stress, anxiety, and it's a thing of, I don't know what's going on. I'm not hitting my goals. I'm not, you know, my money's flying out the window. I don't have control. I feel out of control is usually what folks say. And so then when they say that and they express where they are emotionally, then we create a budget for them. I, our company uses the spreadsheet model and we create a budget for them and it is it is detailed and categorized and it literally lays out where the money is going, right? Mm-hmm. Based on their account. They tell me and I create the budget and they see it. And when I tell you the aha moments, the eye opening, I mean, we, I get, I have seen all the emotions <laughs> from doing this exercise. And like I told you, I do this with everyone. It doesn't matter your income level. But when they can see in front of them where the money's going, then they begin to match their emotion with the money. The money is the evidence of how they're feeling. And when we can connect those two dots, it's like, oh, because if one of the things is I'm not getting to save as much as I want or invest as much as I want, because it's usually something they're not able to do and they can't believe it. They're like, I make this much money or this much is coming in. And I'm not able to do the things I want to do. Why is that? And that's where the analysis comes in. So, you know, loud or not, (laughs) that's what we do. And when I tell you it is so eye-opening for people, and then from there, you can have a conversation about, okay, now I see where I am. Where do I want to be? And let's close that gap and let's start hitting the goals there. I find that one of the issues is that saving and investing, and these are two important things. You brought it up. A lot of your clients want to do this. And then they're like, how can I not? I I make six figures or I make a healthy salary. Is it because, and this is my guess, that they're not prioritizing it? They're not doing it first. They're doing it as an afterthought. And of course, like anything, you'd much, it's much more fun to spend and get the things that you want than to focus on the things that you need. And so For me, I can tell you my budgeting journey in my 20s did start with a spreadsheet because you have to know what you're spending on, but not like you have to obsess over the spreadsheet. I didn't every month, every even eventually, once you have an understanding of 
yourself, your habits, your expenses. And by the way, you should probably look at all the numbers once a year because your life changes and your expenses shift. I have a friend who always says, I go to ground zero at the beginning of every budgeting year. And I just kind of redo the budget because your life changes, your priorities change, your goals for 2024, not what they were in 2023. Your budget should reflect that. But my point is that my journey started with like really getting granular, but now because I automate so much, I have allowed the automations to do the budgeting. So, and the prioritization. So every month I automatically contribute no matter what to investing and to a bucket for taxes because I pay quarterly and then a bucket for in you know saving and and so then I can with more peace of mind look at what's left and go okay this I can actually I can actually spend this on x y or z uh because I know that the the more important things that are more closely aligned to what I care about most at the end of the day, you saw it, you said legacy, like that's an important anchor. Like what do I want to yeah. be sort of remembered for and sort of modeling. And it gives me more comfort to be able to go and spend on the, on the little things. So that's just me. I don't have a system anymore, but I think it's because I have done the work yes. of initially getting close to the numbers and, and, and free, you know, once a year, at least, I will like sit down and actually make sure that, for example, even the subscriptions that I have make sense anymore. That's just starting there is like, is you'll, you'll get a lot done. I love that. And you know, you said it, you've done the work, you've done the granular work, like you understand yourself and your habits and what's important to you and you know how you spend and, you know, you understand your priorities. Like you still have a, a system where you check in. There isn't a one way to do it, right? Just like we know that there isn't a one way, but usually if I'm working with someone who's sort of budget averse or they've never done it, then yeah, we're getting down to the numbers. We're getting down to the granular level so that they have the understanding. But to your point about whether or not it's prioritized, I do think that's a big part of it. You know, like it's the, it's the overwhelm, right? Because when you really look at a spreadsheet, like I don't know if the if the last time you did do it, Farnoosh, was like the end of the year, last year, or beginning of this year. You know, we we pay for a lot of stuff. <laughs> like the spreadsheet tells you that. And, you know, someone called it adulting 101. I had a client call it that. And I had to laugh because, you know, if you're feeling overwhelmed, right, and then you do the spreadsheet, it's going to help you understand your feelings. Like you won't feel like you've made this up. So if you see it laid out in front of you and you see the various categories or the different things that you're responsible for, that you're paying for, then you understand again, where the money's going. And so that's the first thing is understand. You got to understand current, what's at present? Like what is ground zero, right? And then I think beyond that, you know, once you have that understanding, then you can shift priorities. You can then start to re- reprioritize or set goals for what you want. So, yeah, I think a lot of it is you're just you just got money going out to like fifteen hundred different places and you're overwhelmed. And, and one of those places does not include a savings account or a brokerage account. If it's not being automatically done for you in like a 401k, you know, people aren't actively doing it for themselves. They're taking care of everybody. This is a Gen X thing that we do. (laughs) So, you know, you're taking care of everybody and not prioritizing. So I think once 
a person starts to see their own habits and where things are, then they can begin to shift priority and start to reallocate how they spend money. Back to TikTok for a second, though. I saw this video. I'm not on TikTok because I don't really go on TikTok, but you know, TikTok tends to show up everywhere. And this video, (laughs) it was this woman, a friend sent me this video actually on text. She said, what would Farnoosh say to this woman? And essentially it was this woman in her car and she had just finished a shift at a restaurant and she was in tears. She said, I work four jobs and I'm so struggling. I can't, and you know, but she had no dependence. It was just, she was just taking care of herself. On the one hand, I said to my friend, I said, I can empathize. The world is expensive. She can't control, you know, what things cost and what her employers will pay her. But I also don't think that there's no accountability here either. Right. And I think that this is my issue with social media that, there's a lot of griping about systems, rightfully so. But then lost in that is, okay, well, what are you going to do about it now? Exactly right. Right? That's kind of the Gen Xer in me too, right? Would you say, it's yes. like, okay, you're making no a TikTok <laughs> when you could be reviewing your budget. You could be looking for ways to cut more costs or finding better paying jobs. And here's the thing too, she was a college educated woman and she had, and that was her gripe. She's like, I've done all of the things and I'm still a hamster on a wheel. I'm still very much behind. I've got loans. I've got credit card debt. My my income is not enough. And so, yes, on the one hand, that is a product of the world we live in, but also yeah. you know, my parents yeah. raised me to never assume that anything was going to just like work out because I put in the work. The work is important. I have incredible work ethic, but I also, I catastrophize constructively. I do those what if scenarios because I have, I'm a child of the eighties and nineties. I've seen, I've seen some things. And so (laughs) I wish for this generation, like it's hard out there, but I think Oh, I'm just sounding like an old aunt or something, you know, like, but what would you say to that young woman in her car crying about her four jobs and not being able to make ends meet? Yeah, I I'm with you, Farnoosh, because as a fellow Gen Xer, right, we are very slow on the on the the sympathy wheel, if you will, like. To your point, I can empathize and I can certainly understand, you know, where things are. It's tough out here and all of that. However, don't stay in victimhood. There's a part to this story where some accountability has to take place. And so for me, you know, I would listen to a point and then I would say, well, let's look at where's your money going? Like, how much are you bringing in? What, how much of that is consistent income? What parts are inconsistent? Because if you've got four jobs and no dependents, then maybe you've got consistency one area and inconsistency on another area, or maybe they're all part-time. Like, what's the nature of the job? So that would be the first question. Like, how often are you getting income? Does something need to change there? Like, you know, do you need something that's more high paying or more stable, more stable? And then in addition to that, though, usually the first conversation I have with people that 
are really struggling financially or or feeling overwhelmed, the, the emotions and things, is looking at the expenses. Where are you spending money? You know, what's all of your bills look like? And then what's your discretionary expenses, the things that, you know, are considered, quote unquote, luxury? How much are you spending there? And look at if it's way off balance. Like, I am not that coach that tells people not to enjoy their life, you know, that you can't enjoy vacations and and trips and and really fun things because that's a part of life. But at the same time, if the balance is really skewed where you're spending the bulk of your money doing things that are more luxury and less of the things that are, you know, paying the, the, the car note or the utilities or whatever it is, then it's like, how can we bring this back into balance a little bit better where you're not feeling so overwhelmed? And then once we have that conversation, you know, again, we revisit the income to determine, is this an expense problem or an income problem? Yeah. You know, like, do you need to actually make more money? Exactly. Um, on the one hand, people are saying, oh, I'm, I did all the right things. I'm college educated. I work hard. But that doesn't mean you know how to manage your money. Most right. people in this country did not grow up with any financial literacy. So I don't care if you have a PhD. That's right. Probably it doesn't mean you're just going to understand how to manage your money. And that's not to say that managing your money is difficult. It's right. just that it has to be, you have to pay attention to it. It's not going to yes. just work itself out because everything else you've done correctly, quote unquote, correctly. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about, if you want, I know you've got some exciting things percolating on your on your end. One is um, the Creator's Nest. What is yes. this? Yes, I'm so excited for news. So I am a believer of doing a new thing. And I am so excited to share that this is a project that I've taken on with my partner, with my husband, and it's two years in the making. So, you know, to your point about sometimes you got to hold things a little close because this was a major project investment for us, something really near and dear, near and dear to both of us that we wanted to do. And, you know, we started out two years ago with this vision of really creating a space for creatives, people that are in the creative industry, that identify as creatives, whether you're, you know, the word now is content creator, but also whether you're an artist, designer, videographer, photographer, like anything that an author, you know, anything that would include creativity. And we decided to create a space for creatives to create. Um, and we're in Detroit, Detroit, Michigan, and Detroit is heavy on creativity. There's, you know, where the, your music, the music culture, art, um, history, um, all kinds of things that really bring about, I think, the the essence of Detroit is is here. We really wanted to capitalize on that and really showcase that. And so, um, like I said, two years in the making and this vision is finally coming to life. I'm so proud and happy to say. And we've opened the Creator's Nest. Um, well, it will be open by the time this airs. Um, and like I said, it's for creatives, is a space for creatives to create. So the setup is that they can come in, they can book the space on an hourly basis and use the space to produce their content, um, to create their next project or masterpiece, as we like to say. And we believe that it it really will spark the creative inspiration and the, 
you know, the joy that I think a lot of creatives are looking for when they enter an environment to really bring about something that is um, important to them. So we're really, really excited about That's it. That's so cool. And b- building that community, uh, yes. getting out of the house. Yes. Yeah. That part. <laughs> yeah. I know it's, it's been nice to be at home, but I tell you, yeah. you know, it's just a different experience and energy when you are out in the world. It's a lot more exhausting than I ever remember it to be though. I have to say like, oh, it's like, was it always this much um, energy, like being around people? It's like, maybe I'm just an introvert <laughs> at the end of the day. Uh, well, congrats on that. And I will be uh, following and cheering you and Adam, your husband on. Thank you so much. Everybody check out Stephanie at socialmoneyfinance.com. We'll put that link in our show notes as well as the creator's nest. Thank you. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Budgeting is something that's really important to our audience. So I couldn't think of a better person to talk about it with. Thank you. Thank you, Farnoosh. Thanks so much to Stephanie for joining us. You can learn more about Stephanie at socialmoneyfinance.com and in the show notes, a link to the Creator's Nest if you'd like to check that out as well. I'll see you back here on Friday for Ask Farnoosh. I hope your day is so money. Hosting the So Money Podcast for almost 10 years, I've been learning a lot about how to best serve you outside the show. I've begun to offer pop-up workshops and a So Money Members Club. And with each new line of business, a lot goes on behind every transaction. Stripe helps simplify and ease payments with Tap to Pay on iPhone, which helps me grow revenue and reach through accepting more in-person contactless payments when I'm out in real life promoting my programs. Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe give me the ability to scale quickly quickly and stay flexible with quick setup and no additional hardware required. And it's not just ideal for me. From local pop-ups to global retailers, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe help businesses of all sizes accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. Whether your customers want to use their card, Apple Pay, or other digital wallet, now you can accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.